Welcome to the MSO Talks podcast. Hello and uh, welcome to uh, MSO Talks and uh, the series that we have called Fika with Jens. I'm Jens Nystedt, co-CIO here at MSO. We have had a few of these episodes now and I hope you remember that the idea is to take a short break in your day, uh, sit down, have a nice cup of coffee, Maybe some Swedish delicacies. I still haven't heard if any of you have managed to find them yet, but please do try. And uh, listen to a little bit about what we are thinking here at EMSO, about recent market developments. And um, as usual, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, since we last did this recording, just after the July Fed meeting, and uh, we are trying to line these up usually with uh, the aftermath of Fed meetings, they are important signposts, not only for the top-down macro uh, views that we have, but it has implications for our broader-based emerging markets investment. Of course, not always. There are plenty of idiosyncratic views, and we'll talk about them in a little bit, but uh, it does set the stage for the asset class, a lot of the questions we get from our investors. So let's kick it off. First of all, the Fed. Uh, what the Fed ultimately did, I think, was a surprise perhaps not the direction in terms of where they were taking their future interest rate forecast, but they were sending a message of a much more benign growth outlook in the U.S., necessitating uh, less of an interest rate response. They kept, I would say, almost like an insurance hike in November or December, and then they signaled that for next year, instead of cutting four times, they cut two I think this is their risk management approach in action, upgrading their growth forecast, seeing inflation coming down, uh, but by not growing uh, below trend anymore, but closer to trend, that convergence would take a little bit more time and therefore they would like to remain restrictive for a little bit longer. However, the surprise I think by many Fed watchers was that they were very conservative on their uh, core inflation forecast, core PC forecast for this year. So there is some room here for inflation to surprise and for the Fed, I think, to step away a little bit from what looks like a very Goldilocksian type uh, outlook. But anyway, I think they're taking out uh, insurance and uh, if anything, that's perhaps a prudent thing to do. But for the broader market, this meant that uh, a yield curve, a U.S. Treasury yield curve that was already challenged in August on the back of the Bank of Japan ending YCC, a Treasury funding announcement that suggested a lot more supply. Uh, this on top of those events in August during a seasonally fairly liquid period has meant a lot of stresses in the fixed income markets that have spilled over across several of the asset classes. At the same time, we had oil prices going higher. Uh, that has, of course, raised the question, will it be enough to stop the disinflationary trend? that has been underway across the globe. I think in this case, uh, we would argue that a lot of the increase in the oil prices we've seen are more supply than demand-led and therefore less of a concern in terms of how it could spill over and ultimately deliver second round effects into core inflation. So I think it's, it's early stage yet, but uh, if anything, that looks to be somewhat of a premature concern. For emerging markets, it's more of what the El Nino does here in the fourth quarter, early first quarter to food prices. There are a number of countries in emerging markets in the Southern Hemisphere in particular 
that are vulnerable to the El Nino effect. And uh, that is something that will have an impact on food prices and stock, and in some cases reverse some of the improvements in headline inflation that we've seen. Now, when it comes back to the U.S. and uh, uh, what we would argue has been the key driver for higher interest rates uh, in America is really a growth exceptionalism theme for the U.S. catching on again. We had positive growth surprises during most of the summer, which have led to a reassessment, as we said, for the Fed, but for the market as well. A number of the investment banks have dropped their recession forecast for this year. They moved them into next year. Uh, conviction levels that there would be a hard landing have probably gone close to zero. So we're talking about various degrees of soft landing or no landing. And I think in that case, uh, it would warrant a somewhat higher U.S. interest rate. However, I would say that we would argue that we are now uh, seeing a little bit of a twin peaks, as Patrick Estorellas, our head of research, calls it. Um, we are at the peak of U.S. growth surprises. If anything, we would expect them to turn down here during the fourth quarter. And we're probably at the peak of uh, China growth pessimism. If you look at uh, surprises, economic surprises out of uh, China, they've certainly come in less bearish, could break bullishly during the fourth quarter, similar developments in the Eurozone. So I think some of the... Um, drivers of higher U.S. interest rates during August and September are likely to reverse as we go through the fourth quarter. Now, there is a number of events, again, not necessarily emerging market events, but that can have an impact on emerging markets that will define the extent to which U.S. growth is slowing. And that is really here um, what's going to happen with government shutdown. <laughs> we're a little bit over a day away when we're recording this. And uh, how long will that shutdown last? Of course, we also will see student debt repayments. We probably borrowed some consumption from the fourth quarter into the third quarter. So there are a number of concerns here that probably uh, would make uh, this kind of view of a growth pothole in the U.S. as being one of the market drivers. And what season is a fairly strong um, quarter for EM fixed income performance. Now. We also have had dollar strength as a result, and that has weighed. Uh, higher U.S. interest rates, a stronger dollar has weighed on the benchmarks here, both in August and uh, definitely in September. Sovereign credit benchmarks, as the time we record this, is down 3% on the month. For sovereign credit, 4.2% for local. I mean, there's been massive dispersion. As you know, we are not the big believers in benchmark investment approaches, so dispersion matters. But if you look at where we are year to date, after very strong, I would say, um, first two quarters, and now MB Global had to give back a lot of its gains. Uh, it's year to date only up about 1.4%, but this time around, Treasuries are actually subtracting close to 2.2% year to date. Quite a reversal after the Silicon Valley Bank, March, April, where US Treasury was more than 160% of the year to date returns in hard currency sovereigns. In local markets, better returns, probably less correlated, but um, EM currency spot returns are not down for the year by 1.3%. Of course, carry uh, and uh, duration rallies has been more than offsetting that, but it tells you how quickly and how vulnerable the benchmarks are outside of individual countries to these kind of top-down developments.
shifting to some of the idiosyncratic drivers that we're keeping our eye on here in October. We have elections in Ecuador and in Argentina. Both of them are, I think, um, very important for the outlook for these countries, what direction they want to do, their ability to service their debt. And I think that the market has gone in with a much more conservative view in the case of Argentina, given that we had the Paso in August, that is setting up a stage, I think, of uh, three possible outcomes, actually. Each, each one of the presidential candidates has, has a chance here to, to win, but the first round of the presidential elections here in October will narrow down the field and really make us uh, have a much clearer view on what are the likely scenarios. And similar in Ecuador, but that's the last round, so that will settle things at least for a little bit of a, more than a year until they have to go to elections again. And then um, the other event for emerging market professionals that will be, um, of course, of interest are the IMF World Bank annual meetings in Marrakesh uh, towards the third week of um, October. Uh, usually that's a good time to take stock, think about the 2024 outlook, check in with a number of uh, idiosyncratic countries that are in the middle of their debt restructuring, such as Ghana and Zambia, the role the IMF will play, the official credit community will have a lot more to say about that when we um, have our next FICA together. But for the rest of the year, outside of these idiosyncratic drivers, I think it's really about uh, whether that growth pothole materializes, uh, the focus on Fed cuts next year, can they cut? Are we going to have a no landing in the US or does it actually require the Fed now here to break things. I was looking at Goldman Sachs Financial Conditions Index. We reached the highest level on Wednesday for the year. Last time we were at this level, Silicon Valley Bank happened. So not everything is rosy. There are certainly scenarios here where uh, we could see another uh, shock coming from areas we don't expect. But overall, I think that um, with this kind of shifting of the baton, shifting from the U.S. surprising possibly to uh, China coming back. We are less hopeful on Europe. I think the growth backdrop is broadly supportive towards the end of the year for emerging markets and early next. I think the disinflation at the core level is still constructive, but the risks that we've been talking about here at the uh, during these speakers and in other publications of EMSO, geopolitics remains a real concern, and uh, we continue to have... Uh, uh, this incredibly unfortunate situation with Russia and Ukraine, and we're nowhere near the end of that. So uh, the best we can say is that the spillover so far have contained. Global food prices seem to be contained from that shock, but it can certainly come back at any time. So plenty to think about, keeping us busy here. Uh, the volatility is, of course, uh, no uh, surprise for a year that has given us one surprise after another. And uh, we will continue to navigate it as best as we can and start thinking and setting up for next year and what, what are the best opportunities for our investors and MSO uh, for that time period. So with that, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, if you have any questions, please do not hesitate to contact uh, our investor relations team here at MSO and we are more than happy to help. Thank you very much.